I'm on the line with Kristen and Natasha, who are both members of I Don't Know More Kingston, very active in local community or- organizing, and also active in targeting anti-colonial symbols, particularly John and McDonald. I'm speaking with Krista from Kingston and with Natasha from New York. Krista and Natasha, welcome to No One's Legal Radio. Welcome. Krista and Natasha, can you tell me a bit about why John A. McDonald became a target of the organizing of anti-racist, of decolonial activists and community organizers in the past couple of years in the region around Kingston, Ontario? John A. Um, is from Kingston, and uh, when he was working as a lawyer and later as a politician, that was here in Kingston. And if you come to Kingston, you will find John A. stuff everywhere, from a Spirit of John A. train to the statue to um, a street and a museum that was one of his better houses and plaques on other places he lived and where he drank and bars named after him. So um, the it, he, he was just an obvious symbol for living here and for attacking colonialism um, and, and racism and genocide. Um, and um, I, I believe that because um, people ask why target like symbols like John A or the flag or Canada. And I think if in order to target and conquer racism and colonialism and genocide in Canada, we have to start with attacking the symbols because so many Canadians are so attached to them. And we have to break that attachment to these symbols of racism in order to um, to deal with the racism. Natasha, do you want to add anything? Yeah, and speaking on Sir John May McDonald, um, the reason why he, um, his, particularly um, as a symbol he's targeted because he was instrumental by Indigenous people, I should say, particularly Indigenous activists, is that Sir John A. Macdonald was instrumental in the creation of the residential school system, and he put in place policies to systemically starve thousands of Indigenous people in order to steal their land. And the issue with him as a symbol is that celebrating his legacy, it normalizes violence against Indigenous people, it sanctifies the origins of the settler colonial state, rather contend with the illegitimate means in which the construct of Canada was created, um, and that targeting oppressive symbols for removal assists in doing away with false narratives of a beloved uh, state. And that in celebrating him, um, it makes a mockery of the painful legacy and impacts of colonization on Indigenous people that continues on our present moment. So it's not just about, you know, um, the past. It's about the impacts that are of colonization that continually impact indigenous people, and that we don't live in a, we live in a world that's no less brutal and violent than the past, and we only need to turn to the news to see this reality. And then we need to ask ourselves if we want to continue making excuses for individuals who perpetuate a culture of ruthless murder, and um, even if this means figures of the past. And if we want a more ethical, just world, then we need to re- radically re-envision how we relate to each other. And this is not about rewriting of the past, but imagining a collective future that honors the dignity and pays respects to Indigenous people, Black folk, people of color, and other other marginalized communities. 
We need to radically rethink how our world is currently organized and disassemble the exploitive global capitalist economy and course of imposed state borders in an economy built on finite resource extractions, unsustainable and as naive and destructive as beings who inhabit this earth to believe otherwise and that we need to do better. Yeah, I'd like to add to that too. Um, people like to think that the policies John A. created are in the past, but the Indian Act still stands. And although the residential schools are closed, um, Indigenous students in the north are still sent to boarding schools, often in very racist cities like um, like Thunder Bay. And the scoop is just a replacement of the residential schools. And that scoop is continuing today in greater numbers than it did in residential in the residential school system. And when Natasha brought up the fact that this also impacts like black people and um, other people of color who are marginalized, they are suffering these same things. Um, Robin Menard details in her book, Policing Black Lives, those how, you know, black people are in prisons in the same rate as indigenous people. And they're having their children stolen in much the same way and for much the same reasons as indigenous people. So these policies that John A. instituted um, are absolutely still recreating themselves today. And not just for us, but for other people. Um, specifically, other people who are indigenous um, peoples throughout this world, even if not here on Turtle Island. And, um, you know, colonialism is, has spread throughout the world. I, I don't believe decolonization has actually happened anywhere. It's just been neocolonialism um, over and over and over again. And um, Canadians have to understand that that is their actual legacy, not just in the past, but today in this present. Krista and uh, Natasha from Island Moore, Kingston. In 2017, there was a uh, celebration by some of uh, Canada's 150th year of confederation. It was also an opportunity for people who share um, many of the politics that you both have uh, put forward, anti-racist, decolonial, anti-colonial politics. Uh, there was a focus on deconstructing Canada, decolonizing Canada and attacking those colonial symbols. But in Kingston, I know your organizing predates 2017. So can you talk about that trajectory of organizing in your locality, um, the emergence of I don't know more Kingston, and some of the activities you undertook prior to 2017 in terms of uh, targeting symbols of corporate colonialism, such as Johnny McDonald? Um, I was one of the... Um local Indigenous women who started Kingston's branch of Idle No More in December of 2012. Um, and within a month, we had added other people. Um, on January 11th, 2013, there was a protest of about 300 people um, at an Idle No More protest gathered on campus. And we weren't actually aware at that time that locals here were toasting John A. statue every year on his birthday, January 11th. Um, so, um, we became aware of that from having a protest on his birthday, that that's how deep the celebration of him went in Kingston. Um, the next year, most of us were really sick. 
um, in 2015, the city took an approach similar to the some of the approaches you were talking about with 150 this year. Um, the approach was, well, we know he did some really bad stuff, but if we acknowledge that, we can celebrate him guilt-free. And there was this, there was like uh, performances and things acknowledging John A. wasn't beloved by everybody, and then great big celebrations, the biggest of which happened outside of City Hall and included um, former Prime Minister Stephen Harper and um, I don't know more, um, held a protest that was really quite large. We stood opposite City Hall and um, we had signs of like tombstones saying rest in peace, victims of John A. And we sang a song of mourning and we drowned them out, including drowning out their rather pathetic rendition of O Canada. Um, and that's how Natasha and I met. Um, there was uh, two local natives who shook hands with Harper and gave a speech telling white people it was okay to celebrate John A because this is Canada now. And I started yelling, traitor, traitor. And then I hear somebody else yelling the same thing. And I look <laughs> over and, and that's how Natasha and I met because she was yelling the same thing. Um, and in 2016, um, we burnt an effigy of John A um, and opposite the toasting of John A, we were just, we weren't very far away, 20, 30 feet, maybe the night before other people had done some vandalism related to John A stuff. And that brought a whole bunch of media attention. Um, and, um, Natasha and I, um, both spoke and Natasha took on media in that protest. Um, later that year, a Canadian flag was burned, and that really upset the locals. <laughs> and then uh, in um, January of 2017, we had heard that the city had informed Art Milnes, who's the local that organizes the toasting that the mayor and MP and others go to, um, they informed Art Mills that the toasting was becoming a national embarrassment. We didn't have confirmation because our source wasn't perfect that that's actually what was going down. So we are organizing that year was we're either going to protest them or we're going to celebrate that they don't show up. And we got to celebrate that they didn't show up and climbed all over the statue and took pictures and played music. And... Um, then it, for July 1st, Kingston holds a red and white people parade. And so um, Idle Memoir and other natives joined into um, an affiliate group that had organized an anti-Canada parade that marched up the street the opposite way, meeting the Canada Day parade. And then we forced them over onto half the road and... Uh, and it uh, wasn't very smooth, but we made it through, up through the whole protest and, and forced them to take about half the road um, instead of taking up their full road of grade. And so that was pretty, pretty amazing. Um, we do lectures and things too. Um, we've done protests outside of things like the MP's office, but um, 
in this city, our stance is that because um, we take a really strong decolonial, anti-neocolonial stance. So we don't see the point in talking and negotiating with um, with the colonial government or its representatives. Like they already know what's going on. Like they fully understand the situation of Native people in Canada because they're or- they're orchestrating it. So we don't really see the point in like pleading with our oppressors. And so um, we generally refuse to talk to people like that. And our goal is to um, talk with and educate the the general population as well as our own because the assimilation policies, the residential school and the scoop were unfortunately very effective. Do you have anything to add, Tash? Yeah, and I think that you made an important point is that engaging with community and understanding that community and people are often can, are distinctive from state actors or agents and things like that or representatives or politicians, right? So rather than what we're doing is more or less, you know, refusing colonial state recognition and rather, you know, focus on rebuilding communities and through education, awareness, and like, um, I guess, direct action. Yeah. Because for decolonization, we're going to need more than just the, just our own people. We only make up 3.5% of the population in this colonial state. Um, So we really need other people here to understand like how wrong this whole situation is and to be willing to join in like an indigenous led decolonization of this land. And that can't be done with um, the colonial state that has to be outside of it. That has to. Yeah. And what we recognize that at times is necessary to negotiate with state power because of, you know, the, obviously the imbalance of, of power between, you know, the, what the colonial nation state holds and indigenous people, like Krista mentioned, you know, being, us maintaining such, um, being a minority in our own lands now, that sometimes negotiating with state power is necessary, but definitely not the go-to. Um, and, and not and the that, end solution. Yeah, that we understand that the limitations and what it can do for Indigenous people and other marginalized communities. And we're very invested in building alliances with other groups of people who share similar politics. And the alliance building has been something I more have focused on since um, January of 2013. And, um, and even a lot of the actions in the last uh, year or two have primarily been from like alliance groups, like various people and allies all working together as opposed to this group and this group and this group. Natasha and uh, Krista, could you speak a bit about the reaction to this um, this concerted organizing that you guys have been doing since uh, basically late 2012, early 2013? And when I asked that question... I wanted to give you a bit of context. Here in Montreal, there was a targeting of the John A. McDonald Monument uh, back in November. And the reaction was interesting. First of all, Montreal, of course, is different in many ways than Kingston. Um, There's a lot less sympathy, I think, for Anglo symbols of colonialism. (laughs) There's a bit of hypocrisy there. But if it's an Anglo symbol of colonialism, you already have a 
inbuilt majority that are generally either neutral or not sympathetic to it. But because I think of the groundwork laid by um, the organizing of, of groups like yours, there was a lot of uh, sympathy for this action in, in the mainstream coverage. While it referred to vandalism having taken place and there being potentially suspects, there was actual facts about what Johnny McDonald represented in terms of uh, the Indian Act, in terms, <coughs> in terms of genocide, and using those words. But, of course, to get to that stage uh, where an action in Montreal, a one-off action like that, has, a, I would say, either a neutral or sympathetic reaction, there was a lot of groundwork laid and probably other kinds of reactions prior to that. So could you speak about the reaction that you had? Um, and I know this went right to the level of um, you guys being slandered, essentially, in, in the national press. Uh, by uh, you know, by Conrad Black. So, speak about the reactions to the different activities that you undertook. Both both reactions within communities who presumably would be sympathetic to this kind of action, and also from those communities who are probably you know sympathetic in some way or another to Canadian colonialism. Because I think that you brought up something recently about how that there was there's been a recent shift to that very question about how things in this moment have changed more sympathetically to um, to the mainstream ear, where the obviously we both know the initial reaction was very vehemently upset. <laughs> so and, let you talk a little bit. And that's, and that's the upset and yeah. the vehement, vehement upset is something that I want to get a sense of because as I mentioned, when, when uh, I observed what happened oh. here in Montreal after that action, it was, it was generally sympathetic. And part of that is the local factors, but part of that is mm-hmm. the groundwork mm-hmm. that, you, that groups like yours laid prior to that. So I want to I want to make sure our listeners have a sense of the vehemence and the anger that was expressed oh, yeah. when when these symbols are being targeted not even for so-called vandalism or what have you but even just disrupting even just the protests. Exactly, even just disrupting <laughs> the narrative disrupting the narrative, even that in itself um, becomes the the target of uh, a vehement reaction. I think I think Conrad Black's article was very was very representative of uh, reactions we received up until I'm going to say last month, like just a few weeks ago. Um, Conrad Black's article is really angry about the things that Natasha and I both said and did, and he actually quoted us better than any other news source from that event. Um, but he goes on to talk about how backwards natives are and uh, we didn't have any um, decent tools or homes or clothes until white people come along and that we aren't going to get anywhere without the altruism of Canadians and this isn't how natives, you know, he tells us what we should do. And that sort of reaction is really common. People tell us, you can't... Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't upset people and make people angry and, and attack things that people love if you want to get anywhere. And it's really common to be told that, um, not mm-hmm. just from Canadians, especially loyalists, but even from um, those in our own community who have really heavily assimilated um, into Canadian culture and, um, mm-hmm. you know, especially those of the middle-class Canadian lifestyle, pursuing that American dream and all that greed and everything else. 
even in our own community, those are the people in our own communities who even attack us because they're building all these great cozy relations where they get to shake hands and be congratulated for being good natives. And we're undermining that in their opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like, it's like them is undermining people, us, but yeah. Yeah. And that's yeah. really hard and it's really difficult to deal with um, from uh, just general locals and, um, Canadians across the country. Um, there's been hate mail received for actions um, on a fairly regular basis. But then somebody vandalized the John A. statue around Christmas here in Kingston. And for the first time, like the majority of the comments were um, in support. There were still really racist comments and people saying, well, I support natives, but they just can't do things this way. We don't even know if the vandalism was done by native people but um, or who did it. But the majority of people were actually not just like a neoliberal sympathy of we understand that natives are upset because bad things happen, but an actual real understanding happened online where you know, non-native people were arguing with their own, with their own, with other non-native Canadians saying like, no, like we have to listen to these people. This really is problematic. Um, And so, and that's the first time I've seen that shift here. So, you know, five, first five years of organizing and, um, and then just, just last month in December, um, uh, primarily positive comments. Um, and I don't think that that means our fight's over or almost over. I just think that that means we're starting to make some headway. And um, I'm often targeted for using really aggressive words and speeches. Um, and... Um, and people always say you'll never you'll never win allies that way, but I disagree. I really think that um, people who actually want to do change and create change and be a part of that are, want the truth. They want to understand the cold, blunt, hard truth. Those who don't want to hear the truth weren't ever really going to do anything anyway. Yeah, Natasha, do you want to add anything? Yes, I think that. Because for so many years, Sir John A. has been celebrated in Kingston, um, his legacy, you know, this idea of this beloved nation state and, and the founding father and things like that. So when we held that protest, it was very jarring initially to the to this culture that the colonial culture that had been created. And also this this idea, you know, that indigenous people must always take a subordinate position to a white settler colonialism and the settler colonial state, you know, so when we had that protest and we burned the effigy of Sir John McDonald, you know, Conroy Black, you know, it just, he just like, what? Like, how dare you not know your place? How dare you? You know, and it's just that, that same kind of reaction was also, you know, came about in terms of community, you know, in terms of the comments online, things like that, statements, you know, it was even unsettling even to some people that, you know, that I thought were friends. You know, um, so the initial reaction was definitely strong, 
you know, because it was, it was jarring and unsettling. And it's like, you know, you're questioning their understanding of how the world works, their worldview, everything they've learned in the socialized <laughs> from the society, from school, from the education system, right? It's like we were challenging that view, giving a different historical and community perspective that they just didn't understand. But then, you know, with other protests and, you know, um, media attention, things like that, and awareness and stuff like that, you know, there became more of a consciousness of like, okay, of that other side of the story, of hearing, okay, like, what, what is the real truth? And it's like, okay, you know, but that is definitely was work. And it's like, um, definitely wasn't, it was definitely it was not always easy, especially in the beginning. Yeah. Now, you know, we kind of gain more allies and understandings within community, you know, people who were initially resistant um, to these ideas or this knowledge that we were presenting to them have now become a little bit more open and accepting of this. Yeah. And also, like, the reactions are very silencing. Like, the reaction to, like, how dare you be angry? How dare you, you know, um, like Natasha said, not know your place? Um, they're they can be so strong at times that people wonder, like, well, why don't you have more natives at, at some of these protests? Well, <laughs> we did initially, but they got scared off by, well, I'm not going to say scared. They got, it was too much to, to take that level of really targeted racism when you have to face racism in your everyday life. It's, it's really overwhelming it be demoralizing. And, and demoralizing and it, it is very effective at silencing. Um, and um, also people need to realize that uh, the, the numbers that we do get are, um, you know, um, we only make up 3.5% of the population, like um, deciding to, to stand and be a target um, it is really difficult, and I, I really commend those in our community who do um, stand with us um, when they have the emotional space to do so, because it, be, it becomes really awful at times. Like, sometimes the next day or two are just recovering from the onslaught of, of, of reaction from a protest. Krista and Natasha, you spoke earlier about alliance building and the importance of that in, in the last five years of your decolonial, anti-colonial community organizing. So can you talk more about what exactly you mean by alliance building and sort of the nitty gritty of that, uh, what that looks like? Well, alliance building is key to community organizing or any type of activism, especially as previously mentioned, um, indigenous people are minorities in their homelands now. So um, finding allies and building those alliances with other groups who share common interests towards our mutual liberation is key to social movements um, and making, you know, connections, right? Um, so in terms of some of the things we do, I mean, as an activist and as community organizer, yes, we've done anti-Sir John A. McDonald. Um, protests and things like that, you know, but generally speaking, you know, we intend other uh, protests or do other organizing um, in terms of, you know, Black Lives Matter, if there's a local 
you know, protests happening or in Toronto, things like that, um, we will attend. There was a 60s group rally that happened in um, the summer of 2017 that was very pivotal in terms of um, advancing in this consciousness and revitalizing, um, you know, morale. So in terms of alliance building, um, we work often with, um, you know, a local anarchist group. Um, we, like I said, in terms of working, you know, uh, pardon? Also an anti-prison group, um, SBHR, um, um, other anti-racism groups, yeah. SBHR is Solidarity for Palestinian Human Rights? Yeah. Okay. Um, and so in building these alliances, we share, you know, resources, information, um, you know, it's, it, it's building relationships is a really important part of that. Yeah. And, um, yeah, in relationships, building relationships and things like that. And um, it's, it's not our, it's this non our hierarchical sharing, right? So there's not one person that's like calling a shot, so to speak. There's a lot of shared power you know, and um, ideas and exchanging ideas. It's like, okay, and approaches like, okay, well, I have this idea for this protest. Oh, well, how about you do it this way? And it's like, okay, we need X amount of money. We're going to, we're going to crowdfund to get, you know, this money together so that we can do X, Y, and B, you know? So there's a, there's a lot of working together, a lot of cooperative action, you know, Um, and not just locally. I mean, in terms of like, you know, social media has been key in terms of a lot of organizing, so to speak, you know. Um, like, even just from my phone, you know, yesterday, you know, we I, crowd, I got a bunch of people together on someone's Facebook and crowdfunded, you know, resources to, to get him to rehab. We raised that money in less than an hour, you know, and that was all just from my phone in a different country, you know. Um, so, I mean... These things, people are learning. People in social movements, people are learning how to be effective organizers. They're learning from other people, um, you know, and uh, networking, things like that. And, uh, yeah. I don't know if, uh, Krista, if you want to add something. Yeah. I like to talk to people about, like, building natural allies. So um, natural allies for Indigenous people would be other people facing the same issues as, as, as other people with high incarceration rates like um, immigrants and uh, particularly at this time Muslims and black people and anti-prison groups. Um, anarchists make natural allies um, being anti-state and anti-hierarchical and the fact that um, many indigenous nations um, operated in an anarcho-type manner prior to the hierarchy of the chief and council system. Um, Other indigenous people whose homelands are invaded and colonized like, like Palestinians and, and, um, and so many others also are obviously not our other natural allies. Um, people fighting against poverty and homelessness and um, for assistance with um, the um, 
um, the incredibly like disastrous effects of the war on drugs. So like helping local people who are fighting uh, for naloxone kits in public spaces and stuff like that. Um, those are all our, our natural allies, the people who are already on the same page as us. And I think part of alliance building is going and showing up at their events, organizing events with others, but also to make a true alliance, you have to build a friendship. You, it has to be more than I'll see you next like month when you host your event and I'll show up and be there in the background. It has to be really active. Like, what can I do to help? Um, and, and building friendships because that's what makes, um, allies something stronger than just, um, similar politics. Krista and, um, Natasha, the, f the final area I want to explore with you is, um, the emergence or the re-emergence, I think, if it's fair to say, of targeting of anti-colonial symbols worldwide. And obviously there have been some, some of these um, movements that have captured worldwide attention. One of the examples is Roads Must Fall in South Africa, where um, South Africans have targeted the statue of Cecil Rhodes for removal, saying this belongs in a museum, not, uh, not something to be... Uh, mm -hmm to be valued and to be given an honored place. Of course, in the U.S. for generations and generations since the end of the Civil War, that's why I talk about a reemergence, but definitely within the last decade, there's been a retargeting of symbols of racism of the Confederacy in the U.S., in Charlottesville, all over, all over the U.S. And here on the northern part of Turtle Island that we call Colonial State of Canada, uh, the Cornwallis statue, for example, has been targeted in Halifax for removal and might get removed very soon. And of course, the Johnny McDonald statue in Kingston has been targeted. The, the one in Montreal was recently targeted. So I want, I want you to talk about your community organizing in light of this worldwide movement. And you've talked about alliance building <coughs> on a very local level, but um, talk about that as well in terms of, in terms of a broader worldwide movement against... Uh, colonialism and against racism and against oppression in general? For me, looking at like this worldwide awakening of indigenous peoples, and I include slave descendants and black people in that because they're indigenous to Africa um, and didn't, you know, slave descendants didn't willingly come here. And I don't even know if you'd call it willing when people come from countries um, facing the turmoil caused by Western states. But, um, so I, I think for me, seeing like this resurgence and this fight against the same thing around the world, it's, um, for me, it's spiritual because in my teachings, we need to return to our original instructions. And this is something that needs to happen worldwide. Um, so for me, that's a, a spiritual sense and, um, and just what's supposed to happen. This is uh, for me, something that's supposed to happen. Um, I think building alliances outside of local, like our own local city is important. Um, sometimes it's difficult. Um, poverty can make it really hard to travel. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, still there's been the ability to 
build alliances like that um, um, online. And and I know people who also build those alliances that bigger. Um, my sweat lodge leader has traveled to take part in fights elsewhere. Um, I I know people involved in the Cornwallis statue um, out east. Um, I you know and making those allyships and friendships with with people from other places is important. Um, and that's something I've I've learned a lot from my sweat lodge leader who who has done the same thing. Um, um, it's really pretty common for me to go to sweat lodge and see uh, a indigenous person from elsewhere in the world there um, just and not to come for a spectacle like when white people want to go to a sweat lodge but just to come and join us in prayer and um, and I think I think that's important I think it's important to to um, to take things to that step and and when that fight is both um, a necessary fight for survival as well as a cultural and spiritual fight, it, you know, if, if you're invited to join in in those those aspects of it, then I think that's also important. And um, I mean, it's certainly harder harder than it is to build locally, but it's very important. And I think um, whether or not you know, indigenous people of the world succeed at this. Um, I think um, this is our best chance now because we're aware that we're all fighting for the same thing. And we need to grow that awareness that we're all fighting for the same thing because I think whether it's the Rhodes statue or the Cornwallis statue or a General Lee statue, which was really amazing that people in the States took that down on their own, um, or it's like actually in the streets fighting for your land and your life and your life and your survival. Um, it is all the same fight. And I think that that is important. And I think it's important for people to see, like, it's not this little problem here that you're dismissing and this other instance over here that you're calling a small problem you're dismissing. It's not a bunch of small issues. It's one big whole issue it's 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 a complete issue it's it's all together it can't be divided into subjects and 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 areas it is one giant fight for um for survival natasha do you want to add anything yeah i think that targeting these you know state colonial symbols globally is important and that yes, they may be occurring locally in certain areas, but they're definitely connected. And the reason for that is because these symbols tell a story. They tell a particular narrative of history, of the present state of reality, and that people around the world that have been oppressed and, and, and marginalized through coercive force are challenging these stories and their narr- these narratives. For example, you know, um, in the North American context or Australia or New Zealand, you know, indigenous people are share very are sharing very similar struggle. I went to New Zealand um, a year ago, and when I got off the plane after being on the plane for 17 hours, 
the first thing I did was obviously I took some money out of the machine and there was the queen. It looked that their dollar bill looked exactly like Canadian. And I was just so astonished by how similar, you know, Dunedin looked like in New Zealand um, to a place like Kingston, you know, and that's just how perfect, I mean, 17 hour flight. And it was just so profound, so profound, you know, um, how similar, you know, the colonial structures were and how similar the struggles were from the, the Maori people and indigenous people in Turtle Island. Um, so, I mean, definitely in terms of glo- uh, building this global awareness and making these connections and networks globally, you know, is an important part of social movements and building, you know, because obviously, you know, and, and there's strengths in numbers and to understand that neoliberalism is a global, you know, is a global structure. So, you know, in terms of the approach to dismantle and create a more just world, we'll have to definitely involve um, global networking you know, with other social movements for mutual liberation, because just how comp- complex, you know, um, the current organizational structure of the world is. But that I think what's interesting about Indigenous peoples is that we have legacies here that extend thousands upon thousands upon thousands of years. And that what that tells us is that things are constantly, have constantly changed and are continually changing. And that what currently is doesn't always have to be. And that is possible. And that social change can happen. And that it will happen. It's inevitable. And I think the encouraging part of that possibility is um, watching like what's going on in Palestine. And, I mean, the colonial states all voted with Trump or abstained and then went to his big party. But... The majority of the world, like, stood up for indigenous people in their land. And um, I think that speaks to how important, like, this is, a, this is our time. It's really important to make those connections um, globally. And often those global connections will arise through local connections. Because, um, at, at least here on Turtle Island, because... There's people from so many places that when you make those local connections, there's going to be people with those global connections. And and it will spread out like a web, I hope. Krista and Natasha, members of I Don't Know More Kingston, thank you for speaking with No One Is Legal Radio. Thank you.